Shalom, everybody, and welcome to the Ishai Fleischer Show, broadcasting live from Judea to the world. You're a part of it wherever you are. Shalom, and welcome to Malka Fleischer. Hello there. Wow, there's a lot. There's good, yeah. there's bad, there's ugly, there's beautiful. Uh, let's let's start with a little bit of uh, beauty. First thing, it was this past Shabbat was my birthday. That's right. I Happy turned, birthday. I, tur- I turned a certain age, and that age is good because it's great to be alive. Yeah, better than the alternative. It's just great to be alive, and it's great to be alive in our great time. And I want to thank you, Maka, that you threw a nice Sudash Lishit party for me at the house. You're and welcome, people that, uh, that are my friends in the town came in. And also, uh, also a little kiddush at the uh, Chabad Shul downstairs here. And so that was really fun. Uh, and uh, it was just good to it's just good to celebrate and be uh, be alive. Um, and I want to wish everybody. You're supposed to you know uh, send blessings to people. So I want to bless everybody with with strength. And I want to bless with everybody with speci- specifically with strength to get through this period, which is which is going to be a tough is a tough period and going to be a tough period because um, we'll get to it in a second. But the bad guys are sticking their. Uh, their heads out of their little holes and are coming out to do bad things. Uh, and and there's a bad side to that, which means Jews get hurt, soldiers get hurt. There's a good side in that uh, when the bad guys uh, come out to fight, uh, we identify them and start to chase them down and get rid of them and also show the rest uh, that we mean business and we are here to stay. We'll get to that in a second. Another thing about today's date, Malka, is uh, that today is Gimel Tammuz, which is uh, both the day that Joshua stopped the sun when he was fighting uh, here in the land of Israel, and it is also the day of passing of the Lubavitcher Rebbe, uh, who is a big influence in our lives, uh, 29 years ago, Gimel Tammuz, and uh, at the we had a little party yesterday which coincided with Gimel Tamas. We actually have a good friend named Shlomo, uh, who was our lone soldier, our adopted lone soldier for many years, and and uh, basically our kind of adopted guy here in Israel. Uh, you know, that's the chesed that Malka and myself do, one of our little kindnesses. God bless you, Malka. Thank you. And, um, and he got engaged to wonderful Miriam, and Malka, you had the schut of making your first Shidduch. Yes. Shlish Gan Eden, as it were. What does that mean? One third, they, there, is a, there is a belief that if you can make three marriage couplings, if you can make three uh, marriages, basically, then you get to go to the Garden of Eden. Bang. Right in there. Key. Open the golden gates. Well, it makes sense. Walk right in. It makes sense because because if no you, harm, no foul. Because if you were able to make three uh, unions in this world, then first thing we know that the union itself symbolizes a certain Garden of Eden, right? That's the Garden of Eden is Adam v'Chava, and if you were able to be the kind of person who brings this world forward in such a way, and you have to be a loving person to be able to make. Other people find love. You can't do it. If you're not that kind of person who thinks in a loving way, uh, then there's no way you could have the talent to... It's not a math. Well, maybe it's for some people it might be a math, no. especially for matchmakers and things like that. I'm not officially a matchmaker. I'm saying I'm saying it's not a math. It, it's, a, it's a skill that comes in... It, it's in relationship with being the kind of person who has a good marriage, 
has and which means it's a loving person. That's just the way it is. It, like you can't think about these things if you're not in that kind of mindset. So, uh, first thing I want to wish you congratulations Thanks. that you uh, may have earned Schlich nice. and I'm happy. Yeah, for yeah, you. yeah. And of course, more importantly, uh, is that you were able uh, with and of course you've admitted it. You've said it many times at the various parties associated with this. A marriage you've said Hashem has channeled through you you really felt that Hashem was like sent it right, into it's your not mind. because I'm a genius although you are sweetie that you is are. an additional <laughs> nice thing yeah yeah it's not related Go no, on. but you know how it is you think of two people probably some of you out there listening know what I'm talking about right you're like walking around everything's fine and then all of a sudden you're like hang on a sec right I need to put this person together with this person Right. You know, I have made job shiduchim before. Me too. And that one is like, you're like, hmm, Me, this person needs a work and this person has a job. Right. That could go. That could go. That could work. Right. And then that's really nice when you can make a, a job shiduch. But right. to make a like a love shiduch, right. that's pretty cool. So uh, congratulations for that. And we wish Shlomo and Miriam... Lots of love and lots of strength and lots of Garden of Eden and spreading it out to others and to continue with your shlichut. And yesterday, amongst the two little talks that I gave yesterday at the Sheva Brachot that we threw the little, it's a post-wedding party that we threw here at our house, that you threw at the house, I helped out. Uh, one of the things that I said was um, that uh, continue with your shlichut, with your, with your emissary work, with your um, godly... Uh, what God has sent you to do in this right. world. And they said, if, if there was one word, one word that, that would encapsulate the real message of the Lubav Cherebi, it would be shlichut. Right. It would be to be- Get out there and do your job. Yeah, do, do, and be, and, and touch another person's life, touch another Jewish person's right, life. Right, help or, 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 or a good person. That's right, or, or, or the nations. By the way, the Rebbe also talked about the nations a lot. Uh, and- uh, get out there and 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 be active. Like fulfill your duty in this world. You've got to do. You've been sent. You've been sent. You're not just you. This is a. This may seem like a small thing. I have I have learned through the wisdom of my birthday uh, of <laughs> the, the additional years. Yes, is that it's small trajectories change everything. Small changes in trajectory. If you just think of yourself as being born onto yourself and having to live your life fully, as opposed to that somebody. That you were birthed as a as a as a as being sent by somebody else mm -hmm. that Hashem like put you into this world for a job that you that you're really not born but really employed that you're really a shaliach is the best Monica, can you find me another translation for the word shaliach like an emissary a messenger a, a, a yeah a those are the ones agent an agent. Uh, like if you know that you're an agent of some, but something else, Hashem or a great Torah leader like the Lubavitcher Rebbe, you know that you've been sent. And if you speak to uh, uh, Lubavitch Chabad folks, they'll send to you. I'm, I'm the, they'll say, I'm the Rebbe's shliach in, you know, Manitoba. I don't know what, you know, and they feel that, you know, they have been sent to do a work in that area. And that's what we should all feel. We should all feel that we have been sent to do work in our lives. If we just think that we've kind of sent ourselves, that we're like here because because we're here. And so now we've got to maximize it. You live a very shallow life relatively to that. But when you live a life of ashlichut, you really live a, a, a much a much fuller life. Um, a group of people that are definitely shlichim in our life 
is the soldiers of the IDF. And they are uh, very much working hard these days. It's really clear that terrorism, it's raising its ugly head yet again. You and I lived through the uh, knifing uh, terror spree. And now it looks like the guns that we've known that have been amassed in Judea and Samaria, in the so-called Palestinian Authority-controlled areas, and in mixed Israeli-Arab cities or in Arab cities in Israel proper, or small Israel, whatever you want to call it, the, non, the pre-1967 Israel. Those weapons are now starting to turn on us, as of course they were going to. There was never a question. You know, uh, that, that's, it's obvious that, that it was obvious to us that those weapons were going to turn. And uh, so much so, Malka, that you were telling me about the bravery uh, of an elite unit that was fighting uh, against terrorism in Jenin that got pinned down by gunfire right. until they sent in like an Apache An or Apache Cobra, helicopter. I think Apache, right? Yes. And it like... And it shot like a missile at the people who were targeting the Israeli soldiers and eliminated them and, and they were able to rescue the soldiers out of there. Right. So basically a chopper came in. Right. Which, is, like, which hasn't happened, I understand, since like in 20 years, something like that. We haven't used a... A helicopter inside Israel. Well, the th- the thing is, is that uh, helicopters has uh, first thing. Helicopters can even be vulnerable to to just small arms fire. Like you could shoot an M sixteen helicopter, and it could go down from that. But so that's one, one one challenge. But but the bigger challenge is just shooting rockets inside uh, you know a cityscape. Uh, it has could have a lot of collateral right. damage, and Israel tries not to do that. But the point is, is that. Uh, where you know the guns are coming out, so they're shooting at our soldiers. They got pinned down, and of course, our soldiers. One of the reasons they get pinned down is instead of like leveling a place, uh, instead of just leveling a place where we're so so cautious about collateral damage, about civilian damage, and maybe too cautious, you know, maybe too cautious. And so here, but 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 our forces were in deep trouble, and they just you know uh, they shot a rocket uh, right right at the terrorists and got and 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 killed them, and that was good, and that's good. And uh, there, there's there's a heated situation coming up right now, and the heat is on on many levels. For example, uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu uh, is allowing Jews to move into Evyatar and not kicking them out. Right a- after after this, we had a big terrorist act. Right uh, in which five Jews, four Jews, four Jews were uh, uh, murdered in a place that I was just at a few weeks ago. There is a the beautiful town of Aileen, including three young men who I think none of them had any kids. Right, right. We're, talk, we're talking about we're talking about Aileen. Now, Aileen is a beautiful community in Samaria near Shiloh. Near Shiloh, and you drive on Route sixty, you look up at the top, and you see because there there are mountains on both sides, and on the right side, you see this beautiful community at the top of this mountain, and it's just everybody says it's very idyllic and very uh, very warm and and wonderful community. And there was there's like a cemetery at the bottom. There was always a gas station there, but recently they added a great restaurant, a hummus restaurant, a hummus restaurant called Hummus Eliyahu, which is a chain restaurant. Right, Elijah's Hummus. Do you understand what we're talking about here? We're talking about Elijah and Hummus together, and that happened happened to be that I was driving up to an event with with Minister Itamar Ben Gvir at Eviatar. Mm-hmm. And I was I was quite hungry. Really, I felt quite hungry. I hadn't eaten that day, and I was about to go to a thing, and I just didn't know when the next calorie was coming to me. I pulled in there, and it's this like little box. 
It's like a, it's like it's like a little restaurant that's like made out of like simple materials, just like a boxer. But the food was fabulous, and the guys were cool. And and you know what? I totally understand why the terrorists struck at that. Mm. I totally understand because that little restaurant on the road there, just a little peaceful, happy place for people. Yes, but that's not where I was going. It it says something. It says. We're going to open up a huge restaurant here and a huge shopping plaza. And this place is normative. This is where we're going to be. We're going to be here. We're going to be eating here. We're going to be living here. We Judeans and Samarians and Jewish people of the mountains, the mountain Jews, right? Like, we're going to be here. And like that restaurant, like I sat there and I was like, I was like, you know, Zehakatan Gadoli This This little one shall be big. Uh, and uh, And just this amazing feeling there. And I was just like, I can understand why the terrorists want to strike at that because they want to strike at us, our normalization, our effort to 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 be here, uh, and uh, and that's exactly what they did. Interesting, by the way. Next day, the restaurant was open after this after this terror attack. I saw it in the news. Like oh, they wow. went in. Wow, wow, wow! Cleaned it up. It it, it still had bullet holes in it. Oh my god! But they were serving hummus. They were serving hummus there, just like that. Really, they were serving hummus. Sometimes, sometimes we Israelis take it a bit to an extreme where we're like, we're right back to business. But then other times, it's like an amazing thing. It's like we're not shutting down. We're gonna clean up the blood. We're gonna we're gonna clean up the bullet holes, the glass, and you know what? We're gonna be serving hummus because that's what we're here to do. And it's just like, whoa, you know, that was an in, in, in intensity, an in, in intensity. And you know, Maka, I got on i twenty four news called me, and I was on twice in in the span of a few hours. And uh, and they put me up against people. They put me up to to debate people. We could put some of that debate uh, here, some of the audio from that debate here. But I I want to. In fact, okay, let's put up just a little bit. Uh, let's have uh, Ben put up a, a little bit of my talk on I twenty four right here. Jihadism is being taught in the schools, in the mosques, in the homes, and we know that. We know that these people are portrayed as martyrs, not for human rights, but for Allah, for jihadism, and for the great act of trying to destroy Israel. If you go to the market in Hebron, even in Jerusalem, you will see the map of Israel sold as a keychain, sold as a t-shirt, and yet what's written over all of Israel is Palestine. This is an effort to erase Israel. In your map, there are the beginning, Palestinians. Beginning erasure, in your map, in your, in your house, when you have a map, Samaria, do you see Palestine in your map? The will continue throughout mm-hmm. the whole country. If you don't mind, I didn't interrupt you, so give me a second here just to explain my position. And that is uh, that we have to fight against those forces. There are many Arabs uh, that hate jihadism, there are many Palestinians that despise the Hamas and the PLO and want a decent life with Israel. But they're usually beaten down, and that's what they tell me every time. They say to me, because you guys don't strike against the jihad, we are sublimated below them. We cannot live a normal life. We cannot say what we want because because we are we live in fear from the same people you live in fear. In. And so the, the only solution is to strike hard against jihadism, not at the end of it when it comes out and, and does terror, but at the root of it where it teaches neo-Nazi ideology. There is this no is- go zones in Judea and Samaria. There are no go, no go zones. In Jerusalem, no go zones not far from Tel Aviv. And we have to this root those totally things out. This is totally lies. This is idea. lies. And this is yeah. the way to fool the public because the reality yeah, is that the Palestinians are fighting against the occupation. It's not about the jihad. That's, that's, and that's when you when you see the people that made this horrible terrorist attack, and when you see who are them, they are not religious. Many of them are secular and they are doing it on behalf of the Palestinian Liberty Movement. 
you are just a front for the jihad yourself. That's the way it is. And you want to paint it as human rights, but it's not human I'm, rights. I'm, 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 I'm talking about the reality. Okay, so what you heard is just a little bit from it. But there was, there was, a, there was also a, a guy that was like cutting me off all the time, people on the Israeli left, and I got an email about that. Wow. Hello, Yishai. This is Isaac. I don't know if you remember me. We met off and on several times. The last time was in the shul in Hebron. Afterwards, you gave my wife, myself and my wife, my visiting sister and me, a tour of Kevarut. Nice. I wanted to comment on the debate you had on I-24 with the Israeli general and the merits guy a couple of days ago. What this interview demonstrated, in no small part, thanks to you, was the vehement opposition to the Zionist ideals by merits and the elitist attitude of the general and his leftist dribble. The merits guy tried to characterize you as a religious fanatic, and the general arrogantly tried to classify you as an ignoramus. Yishai, for me, this interview was a nightmarishly stark contrast of the deep division between the radical left and Torah-believing Jews and their inalienable, inalienable rights to the land of Israel. The divisions between fellow Jews, who believe that our land can be negotiated away to terrorists, who publicly claim their wish to destroy us is beyond frightening. Thanks to you, you demonstrated their shameful beliefs that are void of any trace of Judaism. When our own people rise against our inheritance to our land, we need to unite and pray even more fervently than ever. Isaac. Very nice. Thank you, Isaac. You know, I put up a tweet also um, after the terror attack. Um, I felt I should say something. Um, of course, we're all in pain. You know, the first moments after a terror attack... At least for me, I don't know how other people deal with it. And we should never, you should never have another experience of it in order to see how you feel. Um, but I get like a little numb at the beginning. And I like don't even know what to do. I think I just like go inward a little. But then after a while, you're like, wait a second, like we need to say something, you know, like we need to stand up for each other. And we need to stand up for these people who were taken from us and for their families and for what they stood for. Um, and so I put out a tweet, um, because after, um, after the terror attack, I got a lot of like messages, like, in, and saw a lot of messages online, like evict the terrorists, um, you know, power to the resistance, free Palestine, right? After four people were literally gassing up their cars or like eating a sandwich and they were shot and killed, Right. That's what they were doing. Um, so I put out a tweet and I was like, I was like, I don't, I'm not going to read you the tweet. You can go to my Twitter account. No, I, I actually. Oh, you want to read it out loud? I, I think it's I think it's quite worth it to read the tweet. And there's a reason why it did well. Uh, it's because it was an important tweet. I, I have it for you here. Mount OK, here you go. OK, so so I'll read the tweet. Fine. Here's my tweet. It goes like this. Some young Jews at a gas station were massacred by the jihad today. To drive their ambitions home, some special types have contacted me with messages like power to the resistance, free Palestine, and evict the settlers. First, I appreciate your honesty. Thanks for not hiding behind false apologetics and fake lip service to human rights. You want us dead, and I respect the reality of that. Second, fair enough. There's a real war going on. Sometimes it runs hot, sometimes less but healthiest and most productive that we all just acknowledge it out loud. That being said, do you really think killing four of us will create a Palestine or destroy an Israel? 40? 400? 
I know it's always fun to throw a party in Shechem or Gaza, but do you not realize how utterly futile these attacks are? In the end, you will fail. There will never be a Palestine on the land of Israel. We will not budge one inch. You caused us pain today. That's definitely true. But we'll just kill the killers. You achieved nothing like every other day. Choose life. Abandon the fruitless fight for control in the land of Israel. So I put up that that Very good, tweet. Malka. Very Thank good you. tweet. Very powerful. A lot of a lot of powerful messages there. Thank you. Um, you're not the only one who felt that it resonated for them, and I'm very happy about that. You know, um, it got it got 1,200 likes on Twitter, which is quite a lot for me, and I think a lot in general. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's nice to get likes. But the, the point is not the likes. The point is that there were other people out there who needed to be able to express this message. And it came into my head and I put it out there. And, and I hope that I was able to help other people express that sentiment, which is like, obviously, we need to like rage against this, this terror enterprise. And we need to hold on to the land of Israel. Um, but as it is, it seems that we're like in this protracted back and forth and back and forth. And sometimes I think to myself, they don't understand. You know, they go out with such a zest for for shooting a Jew in the head, right? And then we shoot him in the head. And then what? Like, yes, you, you made one of our families cry and devastated them. That's that is correct. But did you, and then what? Like, did you, did you get something? Did your family achieve something? Did your, did your tribe achieve something? Did your town get a benefit? Did you like advance something forward? You advanced nothing forward for yourself. Nothing at all. You got nothing. You did nothing. And you died as a nothing. And, uh, and it's all such a waste. I have to say something about that, Malka. Yeah. Um, a piece of Torah that I heard years ago answers your question. Okay. And it's from Rabbi Harlap, the May Marom. And Rabbi Harlap writes that it says in the Torah, don't serve other gods. Yeah. He says, but there are no other gods. Right. So who are you serving? Who are you exactly serving? So yeah. he says something kind of like a little off the norm. He says, there are other gods, but they're really Elohim me'achrim. They're gods that slow you down. There are forces in this world that want to slow down the Geula process. It's coming. It'll happen. But the, there are forces out there that want to retard and slow down the, the redemption process. And he goes, don't serve those. We'll serve the other ones. Serve right. the pro-redemption process. Right. But basically, there are elements <clears throat> like those, those folks. You're right. They know that they're not really productive. And they know that they're actually regressive. And they know that they're not serving anything for their folks. Yeah, but they die. That's the thing that I can't, that, I, because, that is hard because, for me to because they're wrap not, my head around. Because they're not about life. They're not pro-life. They are, they are not pro-life or pro-choice. Yeah, they but are, for their own self? They are not pro-life. They are not, they are not elements. They are elements of chaos. They're elements of, the, they are thanatos. They have I a, saw a picture of the guy who, who um, the guy they killed yeah. at the gas station. The guy that, there was some incredible heroic guy who got into like a fist fight with him and just emptied his gun on this guy until he stopped moving, basically, which is unfortunately what you have to do. 
they showed a picture anyway. They showed a picture in the in the news of the kid that they that sh- that shot the people, the one that didn't get away, and with standing in his cap and gown holding his diploma. And you're like, what? Like, what was this for? Like, why did you get a diploma? Why did you graduate? Like, what? You you look like you're headed toward a future, but you're futureless. You're 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 dust. It's uh, when it, when it it's com- hard to understand. And when it comes to that, I, I do understand. When you're part of the jihad train, when you're part of something great. Yeah, but Ishai, the tippy top people of this something great of the quote unquote jihad train, they don't go do this stuff. Everybody knows they that. They make that's, big money. They it. invest in cement companies. Right. They like take summer trips to Qatar. They have fancy cars. They like, that is not what the real operators of the jihad do at all they don't send their kids they don't send their kids to go attack jews they don't make their kids even commanders that's also true okay the the psychology of bad guys is one that can be endlessly analyzed but bottom line malka is that we're home and we got to act like we're home and we got to we got to we we get the bad guys but we actually do not go in to uh the terror ideology nests and we don't eradicate them. We, we don't go in strong. That's just a fact. And we don't use these attacks as an opportunity to go in really, really strong. Well, we did, we did have an interesting operation again last night. For the second time, mm-hmm. Israel used um, explosive drones yep. to kill. No, it wasn't explosive drones. It was like a rocket launching drone, I think. I think it was a drone. Uh, let's see. Uh, but the bottom line is a drone, like a like a like a killing drone, went out there and and got like five Maybe. terrorists. Yeah, it's it's unclear to me. Here's one thing that's a little bit interesting. I was reading a story about this drone attack, um, and which which I think is is will start to send a little bit of dread into the hearts of terrorism because this little machine can like come from anywhere. And there's no you, there's no like IDF shol- soldier to shoot at, so I think I think it's a very interesting policy. It turns out that this green light to use armed drones took uh, was given in September 2022. That was actually under the Bennett government, or was it the Lapid government? I think it's actually under the Lapid government, um, which is not something you would think. Right. You would not necessarily think that the Bennett Lapid government would have done that. But that was under chief of staff Aviv Kochavi when he was a general a chief, uh, chief of staff. Anyway, I just thought that that was uh, pretty interesting. All right. Maka, uh, speaking of uh, of uh, drone killing, <laughs> I have absolutely no way to connect that yes. to anything else. Uh, I do want to mention some of the folks that make this show uh, happen. And um, last week, I actually forgot to mention our good friends at RetroWatch, uh, and they are moving to the land of Israel, and they're but they're continuing their RetroWatch guy ness, RetroWatchGuy dot com, uh, great watches from the sixties and seventies, um, and they some some of the stuff they've been sending lately is really high end and cool. So if you're looking for like a high end watch but like a little retro, it's awesome. Uh, so that's retrowatchguide.com, and they support them not only by buying a watch, but by the fact that they're uh, bringing their business to the land of Israel. That's really exciting. Uh, and the good folks at the Israel Bible, at the end, uh, it's all about the Bible. And uh, if you don't have a Bible in your house or you want a really pretty one with good English Hebrew that you could follow the Hebrew or the English with great translation, transliteration, and commentary specifically about the land of Israel, the Israel Bible.com is your place. 
And of course, you can put on coupon code Yishai and bang, get yourself uh, 10% off. So that's really neat. And get yourself an Israel Bible. I have one. I think I have two. I think I gave one to uh, Vice President Pence. That's right. That's right. That was cool. All right. So we have a lot of folks that really make uh, our show happen. And we also have uh, friends of, well, we have a lot of friends out there. Uh, including uh, great Jewish folks and also the International Torah Congregation, the the Abrahamic faith folks that are out there. Um, and uh, we all want the blessing of a priest. And we have our own priest here, Rabbi Shimshon Hakohen Nadel, who is rabbi at Jerusalem's Kehilat Zichron Yosef. And he's got the tale today of a Jew who rebelled against uh, Moses, the biblical story of Korah. Who was Korah? What was his effect, and what is the lessons from that time? Here's Rabbi Shimshon Edel. Shalom Yishai. This Shabbat, the Torah portion of Korach is read in synagogues throughout the diaspora. But who was Korach, and what was the nature of his sin? What did he do that was so wrong, so egregious, he and his followers meet such an end, being swallowed up by the earth and consumed by fire. An end so strange, so bizarre, so unnatural, that according to our sages, it had to be built into creation itself. As the Mishnah in Avot teaches, ten things were created on the eve of that first Shabbat during the six days of creation at twilight. And one of them is the mouth and the earth which swallowed up Korach and his followers. What was so dangerous about the nature of this rebellion? At first glance, Korach's rebellion appears to be purely political. It's about power. He challenges the authority of Moshe and Aaron. He argues that they've taken too much power for themselves. But according to the Midrash, Korach's argument is theological, spiritual, religious. Our sages relate that Korach asked Moshe, what is the law regarding the trelet, the strand of blue in the tzitzit, the fringes which we are commanded at the end of the previous parasha. What if one has a garment which is completely blue? Why does he need one little strand? How does one little strand exempt the garment? It's illogical. And what if one has a home filled with Jewish books and scrolls and texts? Why does one little mezuzah, one little scroll at the entrance to one's home on the doorpost exempt the home. What about all the books and scrolls and texts in the home? In this dialogue, which our sages present, Moshe listens and answers Korach, but that's not what we were commanded. That's not how we were commanded. Instead, you have manufactured this, created this from your heart. Korach invents a new religion. The Midrash then continues and tells us that Korach immediately separates himself with his followers and begins the rebellion. Korach's sin was so egregious, his rebellion so dangerous, he and his followers meet such a terrible end because his rebellion was not merely against Moshe, it was against the authority of the Torah itself. Korach's arguments, both in the Torah text as well as the Midrash, make a lot of sense. They're logical. One may even suggest that Korach was wise and learned, a sage. But like the Zakain Mamre, the rebellious elder, who is indeed one of the sages, but ultimately is put to death for not accepting the authority of the other rabbis and sages, 
the authority of the Torah, Korach is misguided. In the Kitvei Ha'ari, the writings and teachings of the great Kabbalist Rabbi Yitzchak Luria Ashkenazi, you find a connection between the biblical characters of Korach, Kayin, and Nadav and Avihu. In a number of places, it is recorded that both Korach and Nadav and Avihu were reincarnations of an aspect of the soul of Kayin. They are all somehow connected, related. In fact, if you examine closely the biblical verses themselves, there is a parallelism. Very similar language is used in all three stories, perhaps to intentionally evoke this connection for the reader. In Genesis chapter 4, it states that Hashem did not turn towards Cain's offering. And in Numbers 16, Moshe asks Hashem not to turn towards the offering of Korach's followers. In Genesis 4, Cain is cursed from the ground, which opened wide its mouth to absorb his brother's blood. And in Numbers 16, the earth opened wide its mouth to swallow up the rebels, their households, and all of their possessions. In Leviticus chapter 10, Nadav and Avihu, the two sons of Aaron, took fire pans and placed upon them fire and incense. And in Numbers 16, the rebels took fire pans and placed upon them fire and incense. In Leviticus 10, a fire issues forth from before Hashem and consumes Nadav and Avihu. And in Numbers 16, a fire issues forth from before Hashem and consumes the 250 rebels of Korach. In fact, according to the Midrash, the rebels are commanded by Moshe to take fire pans and place upon them incense, as on the one hand, the incense is a most beloved service in the eyes of Hashem, but on the other hand, it can be an elixir of death in the language of the Midrash, as in the case of Nadav and Avihu. In Leviticus 10, following the death of Nadav and Avihu, Hashem says, I am sanctified through those who are close to me. And in Numbers 16, following the death of the rebels, their firepans are collected and made into a cover, a paneling for the altar, because those firepans have become sanctified. In the original Hebrew, the language in all of these verses is basically the same. It's uncanny. So what do all three stories have in common? What is the link between Korach, Cain, and Nadav and Avihu? The answer is simple. They all wanted to serve Hashem as they saw fit, instead of serving Him the way He asked to be served, instead of following the proper procedures and protocols, the rules. They may all have had good intentions, But the lesson in all of these cases, narratives, stories, it's not only about intentions. Cain brought an offering to Hashem even before his brother Hevel. But whereas Hevel brings the choicest of his flock, as the Torah records, Cain's offering doesn't even merit description in the text. According to our sages, he brought some junk, some leftover flax, whatever he had left over in the field. He argued it's the thought that counts. What does it matter what I bring? It's about intentions. Nadav and Avihu, the two sons of Aaron, they too may have had good intentions. After all, they were the future leaders of the Jewish people. They had a fire burning within them to serve Hashem. 
but they brought a strange fire that Hashem did not command, as the Torah records, and they were consumed by a fire. Korach too may have had good intentions. In fact, the very fire pans that the rebels use become sanctified, holy, and become covers, panels for the holy altar, perhaps suggesting something redeeming about him and his rebellion. But as the Torah instructs, those fire pans on the altar are there to serve as a reminder for the children of Israel not to make the same mistake. It's not always about intentions. Rabbi Joseph B. Soloveitchik called Korach's rebellion a common sense rebellion against Torah authority because it's rooted in logic, in common sense. But there is a danger, a great danger, in serving Hashem, as Rabbi Soloveitchik warns, solely based on logic and human emotions. And that is the lesson of Korach. The Talmud in Tractate Sanhedrin, records how the great sage, Rabbi Barbarchana, related the following story. One time he was walking on the path, he was traveling, and he met an Arab merchant who told him, come and I will show you the place where Korach and his followers were swallowed up. Rabbi Barbarchana follows this Arab merchant and he is shown two fissures in the ground from which smoke is emerging. The Arab merchant then takes a piece of wool, soaks it in water, and places it on the tip of his spear, spear and passes the dampened wool over the smoke. Immediately, the wool is singed. The Arab merchant then asks Rabbi Barakhana, listen, what do you hear? And Rabbi Barakhana relates that he heard them saying over and over again, Moshe and his Torah are true, and we are liars. The passage continues that every 30 days, Korach and his followers are returned to this very place, like meat cooking in a cauldron. And they repeat over and over again, Moshe and his Torah are true, and we are Liars. Wishing all of the listeners a Shabbat Shalom and blessings from Jerusalem. Okay, Rabbi Shemshon, thank you so much for joining us here on the Ishai Fleischer Show. And thank you folks for joining me on the Ishai Fleischer Show. We have a, a lot of folks, Michael, that make the show uh, uh, really happen, including our good friends at the Hebron Fund. And the summer is ready to receive you as a tourist uh, at, at Hebron, at the Jewish community of Hebron, Hebron, and at the Tomb of the Mamas and the Papas, the Tomb of the Patriarchs, the Matriarchs. Come and visit us, please, and go to hebronfund.org. Book your tour. When you're coming to the land of Israel, give it like a little bit more than a half a day, really, to, to be toured. Be toured by the great Simcha Hachbaun. You will, you will, your life is going to change because of that. Uh, so go to hebronfund.org and definitely uh, join us for a tour there. And also, I want to thank so much uh, the folks at another kind of tour is to see the land of Israel from a bicycle, okay? And the way you could do that is you could go to uh, koshercycletours.com, kosher. It's both kosher 
and it's a cycle and it's a tour okay so that's why it's called koshercyclotour.com you get to see the land of israel or other places around the world actually uh but in kosher style and with a minion with kosher food and with great professionalism uh great bicycles and and just for all for all levels uh and we've had great experiences uh, uh reported uh from the folks who joined kosher cycle tours okay uh, Maka, we also have another Kohen in our life, and that's uh, Ben Bresky. And this time, he's got also uh, an amazing historical story about Yonatan Ben Uziel, uh, who is buried in a place called Amuka in north mm. of Israel. And we have a special wow, report. we were talking about Shiduchem before. Right. And what's the connection? What's, what is the We'll have to see. That's right. There's a connection between Yonatan Ben Uziel and finding your prospective your mates, your soulmate. So here's Ben Bresky with Amuka. This is a moment in Jewish history. I almost made it to Amuka. I even arranged with Yishai Fleischer to make time on Thursday when his show is released so I could make the trek up to the small northern village to visit the grave of the great Rabbi Yonatan ben Uziel. But I never made it. Yonatan ben Uziel was one of the Tanaim who lived in the land of Israel during the Second Temple era. He was considered the greatest of the students of Hillel. He wrote the Targum Yonatan, a translation into Aramaic of the Hebrew books of the prophets, done so in order to let the common person study the text. The Talmud records that when it was stated that Yonatan ben Uziel translated the biblical words, the land of Israel shuddered, and a heavenly voice was heard, saying, Who is it that dared reveal my secrets to human beings? Yonatan ben Uziel stood up and said, I am the one who revealed your secrets, but it was not for my own honor, nor for the honor of my father's house, but rather I did it for your honor, in order to minimize the arguments between the Jewish people. Yonatan ben Uziel also asked permission to reveal the other writings of the Bible, but the heavenly voice said, You have revealed enough for the moment, because if you reveal all the secrets now, then the date of the dawning of the age of final redemption will be revealed. The Kabbalistic book Sefer Migdanim is also attributed to Yonatan ben Uziel. It was said of him that when he was learning Torah, any bird that flew over him would be burned by the fire in his aura of energy above him. All the heavenly angels would gather around him to hear his Torah thoughts. This was in the days of Hillel and Shammai who were both great and respected teachers but also rivals. Although Yonatan was a student of Hillel, Shammai respected him as well. One story is told of a wealthy person who willed all his possessions to Yonatan rather than his own children because they had left tradition. Yonatan kept one-third of the inheritance, donated one-third to the holy temple, and returned one-third to the disinherited children. Shammai questioned his decision to give any money to the children against their father's wishes, but Yonatan argued since he was the legal owner of the inheritance, it was his right to do as he saw fit, and Shammai agreed. According to tradition, Yonatan ben Uziel never married. He was too busy dedicating his life to study. Another version states that he eventually did get married, but regretted not doing so earlier because he never had any children. Thus, over the centuries, people have prayed at the grave of Rabbi Yonatan for a good match and for fertility. 
One story explains that he told his disciples before his passing that since he had not any children of his own, those who prayed at his grave would be granted their match within one year and merit to have children. This is particularly popular on the anniversary of his passing in the summer month of Sivan, which took place last Thursday. The village of Amuka, where the grave is located, gets its name from the Hebrew word for deep. In the period of the Mishnah, there existed a Jewish village called Kafar Amiko, which means deepened village. The Crusaders mentioned it by name and stated it was a Jewish village near Sfat. Rabbi Shmuel ben Shimshon wrote about the tomb in 1210 and mentioned a large tree next to it. Moses Basola wrote about it in his travel writings of the 1520s. He stated, We came to Amuka, a place that certainly fits its name. First you climb a very high mountain, and then you descend to a valley where there is a village of about 60 households. Near the village is the grave of Jonathan ben Uziel. It has a stone marker built on it and a mulberry tree renowned for its beauty and for the thickness of its branches, the likes of which cannot be found anywhere else. Many miracle stories have been told about people who found their soulmate at Amuka. One popular story is that of a young woman who accidentally left her prayer book at the site. A young man who also visited found the book with her name written in it and tracked her down to return the book. They ended up falling in love and getting married. I have read several other first-person stories of people finding their soulmates after a visit to Amuka. Last week, on the yard site of Yonatan ben Uziel, several thousand people visited the tomb, and local authorities had to arrange for traffic and parking. The tree, as described by the writers of the Middle Ages, no longer exists. Legend has it that a wealthy non-Jewish man wished to build a large house and chop down the tree for construction material, but his house tragically collapsed. The survivors brought back all the pieces of the tree and returned them in front of the grave site. Today there is a tree near the tomb, which visitors have decorated with scarves. Some women believe this act symbolizes their prayers to find their soulmate. However, others discourage the practice. One single woman I know told me she had been to Amuka multiple times and visited the large stone complex topped by a blue dome which covers the tomb. She described the tradition of circling the structure seven times, similar to the tradition at a wedding. But to this day, she is still not married. Don't bother going, Ben, she told me. It's a long ride to a remote location. You can always go another time. After much debate, I contacted my travel buddies and canceled my space in the car. The next day, I was told that the group never made it to Amuka after all. This podcast will have to serve in place of an actual visit. This has been a moment in Jewish history. Thank you to Yishai Fleischer. Thank you to my friends that offered to drive me to Amuka. Thank you to all the listeners. And Shalom. All right, fabulous. Ben Bresky, thank you so much for filling us with great knowledge and great thoughts. Um, and that's so important, Malka, to have a healthy diet of knowledge and thoughts. Mm-hmm. That's why it's so important to learn Torah. It's also delicious. It's also, what's delicious? Oh, that's right. You, that's what you're saying? Okay, we'll get to that in a second. I get that. <laughs> but but it is really, it's really important. Yes. That's, why, that's why you have to align yourself with the good things in this world. 
Like, for example, today's Gimel Tamos. I mean, if we're going to talk about Gimel Tamos, which is the uh, Lubavitcher Rebbe's yard site, I highly recommend Chabad.org for so much information and certainly their, uh, their, their, their like Torah learning online that they have there, including Bar Mitzvah learning. They have a fabulous app there. So just, you know, go to Chabad.org. That's a great website. Safaria or Safaria, however you pronounce it, they have all the basically digitized Jewish knowledge. Incredible, so many, incredible website. So many great folks doing such great things out there to teach. Uh, I was uh, I was in Hebron and I saw uh, Rebetzin Shani Tarragon with a group from Matan, uh, which is a, which is a Jewish uh, you know a yeshiva, but they were bible teachers walking around chevron being taught by a master bible teacher and they're going back to their communities to teach bible i was like yes yes that's so good that's the way to do it. we've got to spread more bible spread that love spread that knowledge uh another way to do it is to uh, read the right websites in terms of news and i really recommend two i recommend jewishpress.com and jns.org what's interesting is that these two are kind of a little bit different in their approach and yet if you read both of them you're going to get a great sense uh, JNS.org is kind of a little bit more, um, you know, uh, hard information and very serious op-eds from like the leading thinkers in our time. And JewishPress.com is uh, more feisty, uh, more scrappy, and and more like on the scene immediately fast. Uh, these are these will these two websites will really complement your understanding of what's going on. So JNS.org and JewishPress.com. I don't have to tell you that consuming bad media is is just bad for you, and consuming good media is really good for you. Uh, so check out those two uh, sponsors to the show. Um, Malka, what else do we have? Do we have something else that we want to talk about? We well, we were just gonna say hi to our friends at Prohibition Pickle. That's right. That's exactly it. Prohibition Pickle. Uh, actually, they just catered. Uh, the Shlomo and Miriam wedding. Yes, it was very tasty there and was, tasteful. Yes, that tasty and tasteful. Oh my God, did you just come up with that? That yeah. is so good, Malka. TM. That's right, tasty and tasteful. That's There you go, TM Malka. T- trademark Malka, <laughs> TM. Actually, Malka, there is one more thing that I do want to talk about. Uh, th- it, this, I'm really, I get very frustrated in these times when the diaspora and Israel are at different times. I think you uh, even mentioned times. this last week. That just, is how upset you are. It just it just stinks. And because because for a guy like me who's trying to do a radio show out of the land of Israel and talk about the Torah portion, it's tricky because everybody in the diaspora is behind us. Now, when we start the Abrahamic communities, I was thinking about this. I think we will concentrate on the Torah portion that is in the land of Israel. Since non-Jews won't have like a second day thing, uh, because we'll they don't have, have to, to keep something. Then I, that's what I'm thinking. That I think that they have to just. I think we just have to simply orient the Abrahamic faith around uh, what's happening in Israel. Just we'll that simple. See. That's that's how I think. It's a lot of considerations. There you go. There are thoughts being thought here. Deep thoughts are being are being thought. Um, um, Malka, here in, in in the diaspora, the Torah portion is Korach, and we heard a little bit about that from Rabbi Shimshon Edel. Here in the land of Israel, it's Chukat. It's a, it's it's a favorite of mine. It's got a lot of amazing stories. It's got the passing of Aaron and Miriam. Uh, Aaron and Miriam pass away, and basically Moses passed away. He doesn't pass away, but he's told that he's not going into the promised land. And this is because he takes uh, God tells him take the staff and talk to the rock. Yeah. And the tricky thing is, is that a little bit imperceptibly, but we we know it without a shadow of a doubt, that Moses now in this Torah portion is at the end of the 40 years 
of the sojourn in the desert, uh, the long march in the desert. And so this generation that he's talking to is a new generation. And God said to him, take the stick. Last time you had to hit the rock. This time, hitting the rock connotes force. This time, take the stick, show that there's force, but talk to the rock. Show that first there is, a, there is, there is diplomacy. diplomacy and kindness and, and, and it doesn't have to come in strength. I need you to show that face. And Moses here shows something a little bit uncharacteristic. We know that Moses at the end of his life is still full of vigor and strength and God basically takes him out of this world. But at this moment, he shows a little bit of, let's call it a touch of humanity in the sense that he relates to this generation as being like the last generation. Like, are you still being uh, recalcitrant and stubborn and you're not following the ways of the Lord? So he smashes the rock. Mm. He, he didn't understand that it was time to transition. It was time to shift a gear. Like, yeah, yeah, they're doing the same thing like their parents, but doesn't matter. This is a new generation. We've got to teach them with a new way. And basically God was saying, with all due respect, you are the man for all generations, Moses. You're the great teacher. And every word of Torah is infused with the spirit of Moses. But it's, it's a new generation. And you, you have to now, you belong to the previous generation. Mm. And, and, and I saw also in the Medrash, a very simple Medrash. I like, I like sometimes these simple phrases. It says, what, you're going to go in, but your whole generation is going to be dead? Like your gener- the generation that you led is all dead, in, but you're going to go in? That's not right. Oh. That's not right. Well, but Yoshua and, and Kalev went Okay, in. because they, because they, they had the merit and, and it, they needed, the, the next generation still needed that spirit. But at the end, Yoshua and Kalev are actually the, they're the inheritors. They're actually related to the next generation. Joshua, for sure, is, is not Moses. He's the, he's the next after Moses. Right. So, so, so they, they, they inherit, but the point is, is that uh, we learn here a very important thing, which is you got to live with the times. You got to live with the times. I remember one time, I remember years ago, I saw my mom, the internet was just starting up and she's like, and she was downstairs in our basement in America when we were living there and she was like learning the internet. I'm like, mom, what are you doing? She's like, I can't fall behind. I got to be with the times. I got to make sure that, that I know I'm up on the technology of today. It's a very simple phrase, she said, but I was just like, wow, she's like taking the time to be up on the technology of today. Like Moses here shows that he's related to a previous generation. He's taking the anger that he has uh, uh, from, from his relationship to a previous generation, bring it to this new one that doesn't fit anymore. And, and so therefore, you don't, you don't belong to, to this next generation. You're not, you're not quite ready for them. <laughs> that being said, he then goes on, goes to, goes to war with with the with the with with, with the, the the kings uh, uh, of uh, of of the land of Israel that need to be conquered, and he and he destroys them, he beats them, and Og uh, and he he in Sichon he defeats them, and he go, and he continues to, and he is very proud of that at the end of his life. I just mean to say that his vigor is still very right. much. Yeah, he doesn't like yeah, fizzle out. That's another thing, which is okay. You got some bad news. You know, right? You don't get to retire. You don't. You don't. You don't retire. You're just like okay. You know, what I mean, setback, fine. But I'm still. I'm still here, and I'm still uh, ready to go. Um, and and Aaron leaves the scene, and Miriam leaves the scene, um, and and Aaron leaves the scene in such a beautiful way. He basically removes his clothes, hands them to his son 
Elazar. We have a son named Elazar, and lays down. And God basically gives him the kiss of passing away, uh, and 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 takes his soul. And and even Moses is jealous of how Aaron gets to go, and he asks for that same way. The point is, is and then that the nation um, mourns for thirty days. The nation's like they're, they're go- devastated. Aaron yeah. was like their mommy. It was their daddy and mommy, but it was, was definitely like, he was like no, but he was like sweet to them. He was the peacemaker. He was the peacemaker. That's 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 actually that you say that now. That actually clarifies another thing, and I'm going to have to add what you just said now into uh, into into my l- way longer thought about the relationship of Moses and Aaron. In that is really there's the sweetness side to Aaron and a law and truth like truth capital T side to Moses, and they are best when they are uh, when they together. are together. And when they, when they, when they, uh, hum, uh, what's the word? Uh, uh, they balance, harmonize, synthesize, synthesize that uh, uh, th- there are two characteristic traits. But the minute that Aaron's gone, then Moses hits the rock a little too hard. Mm. You know what I'm saying? It's a little too. The truth is, yeah, it you doesn't, didn't get that brotherly shoulder rub in the morning, and right. the rest is history. Or, or, or the people didn't weren't able to receive it in that way right. that they needed to receive it. In any case. Uh, that is the, the greatness of our Torah, that it, that it shows us strengths and weaknesses, and it is just eminently true. It's, it's so deeply, deeply true, and the, the lessons of the Torah are still uh, with us uh, today. All right, folks, uh, one more organization that I want to promote is highonthehar.com. Uh, if you want to go to the Temple Mount, uh, you can go through High on the Har. Uh, and reach out to me in general uh, about Temple Mount or about any tours and things that you want to see here in the land of Israel. Always available by email, Yishai, YishaiFleischer.com. High in the Har is HighInTheHar.com. Uh, write me an email, Yishai, YishaiFleischer.com. Uh, thanks to the supporters uh, uh, of uh, Buy Me a Coffee. We really appreciate it. It's Very really, much. it makes a huge difference uh, in our sense of, of uh, ability. Uh, to be the shlichim, to be emissaries through this format, through the time that we take out. And so that's called buymeacoffee.com forward slash Yishai. And if you want to be involved right now in some of the bigger projects that we're doing, uh, including the Biblical Highway, including the Tomb of Ruth and Yishai and Hebron and other projects, go to yishaifleischer.com and there's a donate button there. It makes a big difference. In any case, my friends, I want to really thank you and bless you. Thank you to all the folks that make the show happen, including uh, Rabbi Shimshon Nadel and Ben Bresky, Yocheved, Tabitha, Lou, Moshe Herman, getting it out to the world. Um, and yeah, Lou, when we're live, uh, did I forget anybody? And of course, you, Malka Fleischer. Yes. Uh, and we thank us, of course, Hashem, for giving us the strength to broadcast his word. Now is the time for prayers, everybody. We got to pray right now for the strength of Israel. We got to get through this period. It's going to be a bumpy period, but we're going to get through it because we have destiny, uh, providential destiny uh, to fulfill. Hashem's great vision is not going to be stopped by anybody. There are forces that want to delay us. We won't let them. Uh, Let's continue the great work of of previous generations, including the Lubavitcher Rebbe, which we celebrate uh, today uh, here in Gimel Tamos. And may God continue to give us strength to be emissaries for his great vision in this world. God bless you folks wherever you are. Shabbat shalom. Lots of love from the land of blessings. And shalom. Shalom.